welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's chapter in Jeremiah chapter 43. When Jeremiah had finished speaking to all the people, all these words of Yahweh their God, with which Yahweh their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshea, and Johanan the son of Kareah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. Yahweh our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the commanders of the forces, and all the people did not obey the voice of Yahweh to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of Yahweh. And they arrived at Toppenes. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah and Toppenes, Take in your hands large stones, and hide them in the mortar in the pavement, that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Toppenes, in the sight of the men of Judah. And say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, and to the sword, those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive, and he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. This is the word of the Lord. So for context, as we continue to move forward with this continuing text in Jeremiah, the people have rebelled against God. They have been given over to destruction because of it, but there is a remnant that now remains. And the king of Babylon had established, Nebuchadnezzar established a governor in Judah, one of their own people, Gedaliah, who would care for that land and manage over the people that Nebuchadnezzar left behind to work the land. Basically, they're farming servants for Babylon. The people are afraid of the Chaldeans because Ishmael had risen up and fought against Gedaliah and killed him, and they're afraid that Nebuchadnezzar is going to seek revenge, so they're fleeing to Egypt, and they have Jeremiah the prophet with them. So they have, in previous chapter, 42, asked Jeremiah to pray to Yahweh, and Yahweh has responded that if they stay in Judah, he will save them, he will deliver them. He has relented of his disaster that he brought on them. But if they flee, if they seek to live in Egypt, they will die there. And they will never see the promised land again. So we come to chapter 43, and what do we see? After Jeremiah finishes speaking, the reply that Yahweh gave to their prayer, Azariah and Johanan and all the other insolent men rise up against Jeremiah. You are telling a lie. 
So much for verse 6 yesterday, them saying that whatever God said, whether it was good or bad, they would listen, they would obey, they would do what he gave them to do. No, they were only looking for a good reply. They only wanted God to approve of them. We see this, again, so much today. I talked about that a little bit yesterday, but it's it's the idea where Paul is teaching the young pastor Timothy in his epistle to him, saying that the time is coming when they will only have itching ears. They will only listen to what they want to listen to. And we see that clearly and abundantly today, but that's the same problem here. They only want one thing. They only want to hear from God that what they want is good. And so if you tell them that what they want is bad, then they want nothing to do with that word. And again, that's the way it is today as well. Um, We are to preach both law and gospel And there are some who are faithful who, when they hear the law, they repent and thank the Lord, praise the Lord, and pray that the Lord would give you such humility and repentance. But there are many who want nothing to do with God's law, and they hear that call to repent and they ignore it, or they actively fight against it. This is very much American culture as well. Um, You cannot tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong or how they want to live their life is wrong. They get to be them. We're still called to do it, though. We're still called to tell them, both the law and the gospel, that their ways are leading to destruction, but Jesus has offered to save them, that Jesus loves them, and that he is for them, and that their sins are forgiven. You are telling a lie. Yahweh did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. Baruch did. Baruch wants us to stay here. Baruch wants us to live in in this land so the Chaldeans can kill us or take us to Babylon to be their slaves. That's the the thrust of what they're saying. Why Baruch? I don't really know why Baruch. And Jeremiah is the one who is the, the prophet. Baruch is the scribe who writes down what the prophet says. So it's interesting that they picked Baruch as their target for this rather than thinking this is from Jeremiah himself. I don't know what to say on that really, to be honest. But that's the way they interpret the situation. And so they do not obey the voice of Yahweh. They do not remain in Judah as he invited them to do and promised to save them if they would. But instead, Johanan is going to take all the remnant of Judah. He's going to take all of these who in chapter 40 had heard that Nebuchadnezzar had left Gedaliah in charge. And so they returned from the various places they had been scattered around the world. They returned to Judah. Johanan is going to take all of these. And he's going to take them to Egypt. Men, women, children, princesses, and every other person Nebuzaradan, the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's guard, had left with Gedaliah. I do want to pick up on the word princess there. It's interesting that it's in, in ESV this way because literally in the Hebrew it is the, the word for daughter, which is um, Beth, and then it is the word for king, Melech. So it is those words together. It is is straightforwardly daughters of the king in the Hebrew text. There is a Hebrew word for princess, and it's a word you know from your Old Testament. It's Sarah. And that word does appear a few times in the Old Testament outside of the woman Sarah, the wife of Abraham. That's what her name means. Even when you change from Sarai to Sarah, the meaning of the name didn't seem to change for her, uh, but it was a reference to just a new name that would give her the ongoing reminder of God's promise. Every time somebody called her by name, she'd remember God had promised her a child in her old age. 
But yeah, Sarah means princess in Hebrew, and that does appear a few times. Um, I think it's just three. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1 being one of those. So that's Jeremiah's other book that he wrote for us. So these are Zedekiah's daughters, is the reference here, the final king of Judah. So they also take Jeremiah and Baruch with them. Now, this is intriguing. If you think Baruch is a traitor that wants you killed by the Chaldeans, why did they take him with them? Why not leave him all alone by himself in the wilderness that is now vacated? Or why not just kill him? But they take him with them, and Jeremiah as well. They take them both down into Egypt because they did not obey the voice of Yahweh. They arrive at Toppenes. Toppenes is a city on the eastern edge of what we think of as Egypt, near the Nile River. Um, if you have crossed the Sinai Peninsula heading west, you get to Egypt and you come to Toppenes as one of those first major cities. It, it has an importance in the history of the land of Egypt, and as we see even in this text, Pharaoh's got a palace there, so it's not a minor city by any means. Jeremiah is given Yahweh's word. So Yahweh speaks to him in Toppenes. He comes to his prophet again, and he instructs him to do one of these action prophecies again, to take stones and hide them in the pavement that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace. I can't tell you exactly what he's doing with this action prophecy, um, what this phrase means. Um, as we think of the pavement, how can you hide stones in the pavement? Was it being freshly poured? Um, freshly laid, maybe. Um, but the point is very clear. So Jeremiah is going to put a few stones by the Pharaoh's palace. Verse 10, thus says Yahweh, I will send Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, come back to that, I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden. He will spread his royal canopy over them. These stones are hidden in the pavement. Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule over them. That means Nebuchadnezzar is coming to Egypt. That means Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy the reign of Pharaoh and he's going to take this city for himself. He will rule. So the, the action prophecy part in that regards is pretty simple. One thing to maybe note about it, though, is the idea then of the stones representing God's people. That here, under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt, there are just a few of these remnant people of God who have been scattered out of Judah, who have come into Egypt, and they're seeking to hide in Egypt from Nebuchadnezzar's wrath, but it fails. That Nebuchadnezzar's wrath will catch them and find them anyway and destroy them. But what's missing here is the phrase, my servant. And that's really what's missing in the whole section of these few chapters in a row, they have not picked up on the idea. They, the Judeans, Johanan, and, and the rest of them, they have not recognized that this is divine judgment. They have failed to realize that this is God who is opposing them. This is not earthly conflict. This is not just Nebuchadnezzar being an earthly king who wants to have a bigger kingdom. There's more to this than that. That's the purpose of all of this. It is a divine judgment against God's people for their pagan idolatries, that they have rebelled against God, rejected him, and simply 
lived apart from him entirely. So God is going to kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt. Why, ask your children, why would God want to burn down the temples of the gods of Egypt? Well, it's again, it's his judgment. These are false gods. People are being led astray. They're being led to their destruction instead of to their salvation. And so God, in his judgment, is going to judge Egypt now. So again, that's the part that they've missed. They fled to Egypt thinking that they were going to escape uh, the, the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar, the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar, thinking that when they got to Egypt, they would not have any war there, that they would find peace there. The problem is, what is in Egypt that was also in Judah? Some kids might answer, uh, the Judeans, the, the people of God. Sin. Sin is in both places, and God rightly judges sin. And so God judged sin in Judah, leading to their destruction. And they think that they can flee to another place and avoid God's judgment of their sin. And it's not going to happen. So it is today. You cannot hide from God. We cannot hide our sins from God. There is no escape. I cannot flee. (laughs) Think of Jonah, right? Fleeing across the Mediterranean Sea for Tarshish instead of heading east for Assyria to Nineveh. You can't escape God's judgment. You can't escape his sight. You can't escape anything of the Lord. doesn't matter if I I get in a submarine and go as deep in the ocean as I can go or, or get on a rocket ship and head to Mars. The Lord knows where I am, and I must give an account. However, as we saw in yesterday's chapter, he offers a free gift to save us and to deliver us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I can't escape my sin, but Jesus takes it from me so that I have no more sin as I stand before God. It is not a a thing of fleeing anymore. In humility, I don't flee from God. I, I run to the cross. As the prodigal son returned home, not thinking that he was going to be great in his father's house, he returned home humbly just seeking to be cared for, thinking that his father's servants were provided for and that he was starving to death. And that if he just returned home, maybe he could be a servant in that house and have food. So it is for us, we humbly come before the Lord, seeking only refuge. And instead, he he puts the royal robe on us, so we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. He kills the fatted calf for us, as he prepares that wedding feast of the Lamb in his kingdom that knows no end, and there is much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. God's mercy, God's goodness, outweighs his justice and wrath. They are all parts of his character, but he is rich as he deals with us in love, in grace, I suppose that would have been a nice spot to end on, but I didn't say this. So, verse 12 and 13, I didn't really cover fully. 
Nebuchadnezzar is going to cleanse the land of Egypt like a shepherd cleaning his cloak of vermin. So you think of like tiny mice or something trying to take shelter in a shepherd's cloak or even the mouse droppings they'd leave behind. He's cleaning that out. He got to get rid of that stuff. Nebuchadnezzar will do the same. He's going to break the obelisks or the pillars of Heliopolis, which is another one of those major Egyptian cities. Helio, uh, from the Greek word for a sun, and polis, city. So city of the sun, uh, one of Egypt's primary gods, is the worship of the sun god. And so that's connected there as well. Better to have ended on the grace of God, but I missed a few details for you. So may the grace of God be with you.